Welcome to the Sports Pro Podcast. Hi everyone and welcome once again to the Sports Pro Podcast. My name is Owen Connolly. I'm the editor-at-large at Sports Pro. Hope you're well. Looking forward to this one. Football Manager is one of the most beloved sports simulation video games of all time. Since its debut as Championship Manager way, way back in the early 90s, it has offered a breathtakingly detailed impression of the world of soccer. It's thoroughly absorbed the time and imagination of millions of gamers, even back in the days when it was essentially an animated spreadsheet. Uh, It's also helped change the way that fans and increasingly people working within soccer have looked at the sport. And it continues to do so through its ongoing enhancements to the in-game model, an ever-expanding database of players and coaches, and closer professional connections to the real-world game. It's all been a remarkable progression for a title first coded in a Shropshire bedroom by Paul and Oliver Collier about 30 years ago. One man who's been on that journey almost all the way is Miles Jacobson, the former music industry A&R who is studio director at the company that now develops Football Manager Sports Interactive. I spoke to Miles a few days ago about his experiences with the game, first in his part-time efforts to find its audience, then in growing Sports Interactive into a company that employs hundreds of people and retains a network of thousands of scouts. We covered the modelling of data in Football Manager and its application by professional clubs, maintaining a thriving digital community whose interests include some really quite old releases, how the commercialisation of the game has changed across PC, mobile and elsewhere, and how Sports Interactive has kept operating through the pandemic. That's coming up. First of all, a notice about the Playbook series. Now, I normally read these opening announcements for you myself, but I do have a little help this time from SportsPro senior contributor Matt Rogan. We heard on the podcast last week that he has a few irons in the fire for 2021, and he's got a bit more to reveal this time. So let's check in with him now. Matt Rogan, SportsPro senior contributor, mastermind, shall we say, of the Sports Pro Playbook projects. Matt, your first Playbook podcast is in the book. First of all, how do you, how do you feel about that before we dive into this new announcement? Yeah, looking forward to it. Thanks. So um, our first podcast is in the can with Natalie Benjamin, um, a partner at Lane 4. We're going to be talking about how um, you might think about changing or adapting your leadership communication style in these fairly challenged times. So I hope there's going to be something in there for pretty much everyone who who holds a a role leading teams or managing people um, at the moment. So listen out for it next week. Yeah, listen out for it. It is a good one. But it's not what we're here to talk about just now, because there is another strand of the playbook offering that we were not quite ready to discuss last week, but it has launched today. It's Playbook Labs, a management program, unique management program for the sports industry. What can you tell us about it? So it has launched today. It's been a long time in the development, but um, delighted to to get it out of the market today. So, So I guess... On the back of uh, the CEO playbook, uh, which um, you and I have talked a lot about over the course of the last few months, we got a significant amount of positive feedback from people in the industry saying, 
it's terrific to have a chance to just engage with with not what we do in the um, in the amazing industry that we work in, but how we do it. Um, and on the back of that, we decided uh, it was time to to try and fill a much needed gap in the market. So to offer people uh, in leadership roles in sport the chance to, to take a little bit of time out from this inexorably fast industry and we work in and and be supported as as they work on their business um so what it involves is a is a three-day off-site program spread over three months with some some mentoring as well for myself uh to give senior leaders the chance to reflect on the way the industry is going our world at large is going to recharge a little bit and talk to in really small groups um, some experts that have been give, very giving of their time from inside and outside sport to think and work on their own plans for their own organisation. So we're spending time off-site at a farm, actually, from um, hearing from people from strategy specialists to current CEOs, from finance experts to culture and media specialists. And we're offering this in, in very small cohorts to those in current leadership positions around the world, um, whether you might be a country manager, you might be a CEO or COO of a startup, you might be leading a function in your organization, um, wanting to spend some specific time thinking about the way in which the world's changing and how you can adapt and you can adapt your organization to reflect that. Sounds like a great opportunity. When can people get involved? So we... Um, Recognising the the uniqueness of time at the moment, we're we're offering cohorts uh, that start in June onwards. Uh, and to find out a little bit more, get an idea of an illustrative program, and think about whether it's for you, you can go to sportsproplaybooklabs.com, and all the detail you'll need is on there. Uh, there'll also be some details of of where you can ask some more questions and hear a little bit more. Uh, but we're really hoping this will be a a real step forward for the industry. So just a chance to, to talk to some peers and, and, and be supported in um, your own leadership role so it's not quite as lonely and you have a, a support network to help you build back build back stronger. Sportsproplaybooklabs.com, as Matt said, is the place to go to find out more. And of course, Matt, people should be listening in every couple of weeks for the Playbook podcast. Absolutely. We've got a few more surprises down the road, but uh, that'll do for now seamless right i have kept you waiting almost long enough for our main interview but a quick note before we do start in the early part of the podcast miles does talk about some of the actions sports interactive has taken to try and help players address their mental health concerns during these extended periods of lockdown that has included making in-game advertising slots available for free to mental health charities with calm that's the campaign against living miserably Mind, Samaritans and Mental Health UK among the many organisations to take up that offer. If recent events have affected your well-being and you feel you need someone to talk to, there are links to those websites in the episode notes. Do take care of yourselves. In the meantime, let's talk about the evolution of the Football Manager Project. Here is Miles Jacobson. You're listening to the Sports Pro Podcast. Miles Jacobson, Studio Director at Sports Interactive, the company behind Football Manager. Welcome to the Sports Pro Podcast. Thank you, Owen. It's lovely to be here. Lovely to have you with us. Miles, 
you've spent what 20 odd years refining the football manager experience to make it closer and closer to that of, of being a football manager um did you ever expect that the world of work for millions of people would move so dramatically in the direction of, of playing the game um well no i mean you know i've i've, I've been doing this for 26 26 years now i think which is odd seeing as i'm only 20 quite how i could have been doing this for 26 years old i know that's how old i feel um so no you know when when I first got involved on this pathway, it was uh, there were only five of us in in the studio at that point, and it had been founded by Ovin Paul Collier, who made the first game in their bedroom because they lived on a farm in Shropshire and hadn't discovered girls yet, so decided to make a computer game. Um, and you know the big difference that of, of what they decided to do compared to what other people had done in the past was they wanted to create a living, breathing world. Um, so rather than the game resetting at the end of every season, which believe it or not, football management games did at that time. Um, and rather than there being, uh, no AI at all on the, uh, on the, the computer side of things where most things were done by a dice roll, they decided to make this world that didn't care whether you were actually playing or not. Um, it, the game would still carry on whether you were or not. And, um, you know, I, I got involved in helping them out initially on initially testing the game and then then on the business side of things and had another job for the first eight years that I was that I was doing. I was working in the music industry full time and then helping out my mates part time. Then we started selling quite a lot of games and kind of realized, well, we've got to make a choice here because it was getting busier and busier. Got involved full time then started started getting involved creatively and it was at that point that I really started trying to embed myself into the football world rather than us just trying to be a computer game so I had a few contacts from people that I knew who I'd sorted concert tickets out for and the like when I was working in music and was able to start going to training sessions and sit in some of the meetings um, that they would have at clubs and and learned a lot more about how football clubs actually operated both on the business side and the football side. And we started putting that stuff into the game and working out ways for that to go into the game because that was the way that would actually improve the world and the world around you and make the game more believable. So, you know, over the years we've grown from that to the more than we've got over 200 people now full-time on the team We've got a research network of over a thousand scouts around the world who are watching players week in, week out, not just looking at how they good how, how good they are now, but trying to work out how good they are going to be become. Plus our team of moderators and researchers, um, sorry, and localizers. We're we're in twenty plus languages now. We've got games on multiple formats for for different audiences, but all with that same premise of this living, breathing world, um, and trying to trying to let people escape into the world of football manager. Because let's be honest, you and I are really lucky, Owen, right? We we enjoy our jobs. Most people out there do not enjoy their jobs. They do it to earn enough money to be able to eat and go on holiday and and get presents. For us, 
we really love what we do, but we also have a responsibility to the people who go out there and spend 30, 40 quid on our game to give them an escape from that real world. And um, that's something that we found has been has been more important to a lot of people um, in the last year. So those responsibilities have, have kind of grown um, to allow people to escape the world that they're in and be in a world where they're doing a job that they that they actually enjoy. So so when when you talk about the digital job, it is kind of, you know, it's how we see it as well. That people playing the game, they are doing the job of a football manager, and and there've been lots and lots of things that that we've taken from the world of football to make that a reality. But then you look at things like some of the data that's in the game, and and the way that we've allowed people to uh, to be searching for players in the game. And that's stuff that football has then taken from us, um, conversely. So, um, you know, I, th- I think we have a pretty good, a pretty good, healthy relationship with the sport that we're trying to simulate, and uh, and maybe they've taken some pointers from us as well. Yeah, I think you've you've set up a lot of themes, really, that I'm, I'm keen to explore in the next kind of half an hour or so. You know, around modeling modeling the world in data, around the community that's that's developed a, through the game. And some of your backstory, I think, is really interesting in, in terms of how the how the title has developed, how Sports Interactive has developed, and just, you know, the, the links between sport and other industries and, and, and how they operate now, as opposed to when perhaps sports industry was a bit smaller. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to start just by looking back at the last year, because you, you've been working on a few different things. As you say, you, you feel like you've got a different responsibility to people um in the pandemic but you know you've done various things in in terms of the charitable support that you're doing um which has been a part of the history of the game but also making making the game available for free and various things what what what's what's your reaction to the pandemic been kind of practically how have you got the thing done um and in terms of your your wider interaction with with your community um Making games when none of you are together in the office is really, really bloody hard. Um, making games is hard enough as it is, but but trying to do it when when you're not all together is 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 harder. And um, we were absolutely determined to still be releasing games last year. Um, there are a lot of games that that did not come out that people were working on. We went the other way, and we. Um, we actually ended up hiring 40 people last year. So team size was 160. We brought in another 40 people um, and some contractors as well to to try and be able to release a game that was deserving of the name Football Manager. We didn't want quality to drop at all. But we've been we've been really lucky and unlike a lot of other industries and, and unlike the sports industry, um, our revenue hasn't dropped. People have still been buying games and as as you've said there, you know, yes, we have done various things like giving the game away. So we we did um, we gave we let people play the game for free for a couple of weeks at the start of the pandemic, and then we gave the game away entirely um, at the at the end of October with with FM um, with FM twenty. And one of the reasons that we did that is we had uh, we'd worked out very early on that the thing that most people. Um, we're going to find really difficult was dealing with their mental health during a pandemic because there's a reason, right, why prison is a punishment. 
and all of us being in home prison when we haven't done anything wrong, um, it's prison isn't meant to be nice. And whilst home prison is a little bit easier, it's still not nice. We are socially interactive creatures. We like being with other people. You see that on the in the stands at football games week in, week out, um, and, and other sport as well. We're not used to being caged up. So the mental health aspect of something uh, was something that I was very, very concerned about. So particularly when people were being furloughed um, in, in our key territories, which was happening across all of Europe, we wanted to make sure that people had something to help them ease into the idea that they were going to be at home for a long time. We certainly didn't believe any of the bluster that we were being told at the start that this was going to be, you know, oh yeah, it's just going to be a few weeks and then we're going to be fine again. That's not how global pandemics work. Um, it was always going to be a longer term thing. And there were things that uh, that different uh, different governments did that has meant it's going to be elongated and last longer. Um, you know, there are also things that places like New Zealand have done where they took probably a bigger risk but it worked. So, you know, on, on top of that, there's also then the problem that people are still going to be having mental health issues when they're playing the game, even if they have escaped into um, into another world. So we've also um, given up our in-game advertising hoardings to mental health charities so that people are one click away from being able to get help. So working with lots of partners in the UK and across Europe, and there'll be some more local partners going in because... We don't think this that the uh, the lockdown is going to end up anytime soon. We think it's going to be months, um, not weeks. And um, we've served over a hundred million adverts, mental health charities so far, which is awesome. We know that lots of people have clicked on them and have been getting help from those charities. So, you know, they're they're the people that are doing the really difficult jobs, but they're also experts in their field. So, so have hopefully been helping um, helping our consumers with the the difficulty that they've been facing whilst we've been burying ourselves in work if you like um mm. so you know i the the hours that i did last year were ridiculous and it's something that even i've realized is is not sustainable and i'm i'm a workaholic anyway um but you know i'm i'm now trying to do other things but on, on the game side of things, we're cracking on with making Football Manager 22 at the moment. We learnt a lot um, in the cycle of do's and don'ts in this situation. So we've brought certain deadlines forward so that we've got more time to polish at the end and hopefully um, less, uh, less pressure on the dev team because that certainly didn't help the situation towards the end of, of development last year because you know everyone on the team was so determined to to release the best games that we've ever made um which i think we did but then there are there are problems alongside it as well you know there's no football going on at the moment or or there's no football to be at at the moment yeah and there's no there's no youth football going on at the moment so it's pretty difficult for the researchers to do the the data work that they need to do um when they aren't able to go and watch the young players that are coming through as as regularly as they would like. There are more possibilities watching first team football because it's it's blanket on the TV. You know, you can literally watch live games pretty much 24 hours at the moment, um, 
which is awesome in some ways and worrying in some ways that I've found myself watching some of the most obscure football at home just for the sake of watching some football. But, you know, we are, we're constantly reminded of how, of how lucky we are to have jobs, to have not had to furlough anyone. And what is the, the praise levels for what we've been doing have been going up. My, my social media is not a horrible place to be at the moment because there are more people that are actually grateful for the work that we've been doing rather than the people sending hatred messages when they've lost a game one nil um, in, in their world. So, yeah. so we, as I said, we've been really, really, really lucky, but it's still been tough. Yeah. Yeah. The other aspect of all of that is the unpredictability, the uncertainty in, in the world that you're creating. Yeah. Um, what's your response to that been? And what, what does that tell us about, about your approach to modeling the world of football? So we normally try to model everything completely accurately inside football, even if it isn't fun. Um, so, for example, with, with FM, I think it was FM 17, um, was just after the Brexit vote. And we added Brexit into the game with loads and loads and loads of different scenarios of what could happen football-wise and, and work permit-wise. And some of them were not fun at all. With the pandemic, we um, there was a point where the pandemic was going to be in the game, where you can where you were going to have no people inside the stadium where you didn't shake anybody's hand. It was uh, elbow bumps instead. And we we basically decided that we didn't think that that was going to be good for people's mental health. Because when you are looking to escape from the real world, if you're then reminded of the real world constantly inside the fake world that you've gone into, that doesn't do the job that we wanted to do. Um, so we decided to pare back on that. So we do have supporters in the stadia. Um, we let people vote on which gestures should be in the game of whether it should be elbow bumps or whether it should be should be handshakes. So we put that out to the community because we didn't want to trigger mental health episodes for anyone inside the game. You do start off with a pretty poor transfer market in FM21 because we have done the finances correctly. Mm. So the football clubs who, who've lost their finances, some of them lost some of the TV money. Um, that is reflected inside the game. Mm. But but we didn't want to take it too far. And we had test versions of the game that had the pandemic going on and had the pandemic going on for different amounts of time. Um, in some cases, three, you know, three to six months, sometimes a year, sometimes a couple of years. And that that was not that was not an enjoyable experience because you had no money coming in. Um we had to rewrite the transfer system anyway for uh, for the way that we did things. But um, bizarrely, just like football isn't the same without crowds, watching virtual football isn't the same without the crowd being there. Um, yeah, you know, you need that atmosphere, and you need um, you need to see the reactions of the crowd to things that are going on on the pitch. Yeah, it's interesting. It's a similar decision that kind of EA and Konami and some of the uh, people who publish kind of the, the action football games have taken as well to, to keep crowds 
um, within the game, not create empty stadium options and stuff like that. Well, yeah. Konami were one of those that didn't release a new game. So mm. Konami did an update to a previous game. So they, they got round having to make the decisions that way. Um, mm. But with, with a lot of the console games that come out, like our, our game gets finished a few days before it's released. With the console games, they tend to be finished months before they're released. So, you know, they wouldn't have known um, the likelihood of how long it was going to last when they were finishing yeah. what they did as well. And Konami, Konami, I presume, and I can only presume this, must have um, struggled to work from home more than than we did because they made the decision to to skip a year, essentially. Help us spread the word about the Sports Pro podcast. Subscribe, like and share our content on social. Join the conversation on Twitter with the hashtag SportsProPod. And if you're enjoying our work, why not leave us a rating and a nice review on your podcast platform of choice. And if you want to get in touch, you can send us an email, podcast at sportspromedia.com. The Sports Pro Podcast, we're listening to. It's interesting, if, you know, taking the, the pandemic question out of it, one of the things that's changed about how you have recreated that football industry within the game is how much more closely you work with it. I mean, it was it was an observational thing, I guess, in the '90s, and now you know you alluded to it earlier. It's it's a much more symbiotic relationship. What are some of the ways that that's changed your approach, first of all, but also, you know, how has that been reflected in the ways that scouting departments might think within football teams or the ways that people interpret data and, and statistics uh, in the media? Well, we, we first realised that we'd become part of the football industry when Andre Villas-Boas was head scout at Chelsea. So it was before he was manager when he was working under Mourinho. And he said in an interview um, in, in one of the London newspapers, he was asked, you know, where, where are you finding all these players that we haven't heard of? before and he went well I played I think it was still championship manager at the time and then we go and watch them and we find out that that they're right and we were like okay we're finally being noticed so for years the press the football press um and the football industry were just like it's a computer game and then people who'd grown up playing the game started working in football and started working in the media and we're going, no, I wouldn't be doing this job if it wasn't for the game. And that's when we started becoming firmly embedded. So what you find now is um, I, I went to a to a, a, a lower a lower league club, still in the football league, but in, in one of the lower the lower leagues and, and got shown around and got taken to their scouting department. And it was a couple of kids with with our game on the screen. And I was like, well, where where are your scouts? And they went. No, we just look at free transfer players that are in the game, and then if we like some of them, we'll we'll send the same people out to go and watch them, or we send the manager out to go and watch them to see if they're good enough. And we're like, okay, um, there are um some of the bigger clubs that that we work with uh, across Europe on the data side of things because we do have an extensive database. So if somebody if somebody thinks they're being lied to by an agent about something, when they're looking at signing someone, they can phone us up and find out. Um, we also have clubs that will phone up saying, hey, I've been sent this great YouTube video of this kid in Chile 
what does your researcher on the ground think? Because let's be honest, I could look good in a YouTube video for football and um, and I'm rubbish. So so we're able to give the uh, the info of what people on the ground say because we've got researchers in 50 countries and regions. Um, we've got a thousand researchers out there uh, all locally who are watching, who, who were watching players week in, week out. But it, it's it's mainly that people who've grown up People who've grown up playing the game have started getting into football. So if a club wants to set up their own database, they need a starting point. So is that starting point going through every single club website to find out the details of the players that are in the squad? Or is it to just go to the company, you've got a database of 800,000 players and staff around the world and start building your data from there? And it, it's it's interesting how we've changed working with people. So we're working with the club at the moment um, on a system that takes our data and extrapolates that data into the format that they understand and they work with. Yeah. So working with the chief data analyst at the club to actually look at what they're looking to rate and then looking at our ratings and then weighting our ratings to become one number that they then understand. Um, so that's quite a, an interesting project to be working on. But then you've also got the symbiotic nature of, of the media side of things. So there's some data that we had in the game that has now become prevalent inside the game. Then we were working on a role system at the time in game rather than a position system, because there's no such thing as, well, actually there is, I was about to give a bad example, but central midfield is a role, but you also have box-to-box midfield, deep-line playmaker, advanced playmaker. They all play in the old-school position of centre midfield, right? But there's loads of different possibilities. And it was Gary Neville who first started bringing that stuff out from the training ground into Sky with Monday Night Football at the same time that we were working on on a system for it where we've managed to get people understanding what, what Trequatistas are and Mazalas. There, there just was a perfect storm at one point of, right, people are actually ready to talk about football in a more analytical way. And being part of that journey has been, has been f- both fascinating and fantastic that those, the, the timing of it, the timing of it just worked really well yeah. for us for us to be able to be seen as being front runners with something where actually Gary and Jamie were already talking about this on, on Monday Night Football, which has been such an important show alongside the video games for getting data and analysis being seen as a more important part of football um, and getting the role that it always should have had in football. Just, just a small point to pick up on that. The, the thing you said about, you know, translating the data effectively into, uh, into terms that the the club could use. What, when there's been such an abundance of data around the game for the last ten or fifteen years, how has that affected the way you use it within the world of football manager? Because you, you know, you've obviously scouts and coaches and analytics experts have got to interpret. Uh, statistics in one way you've got to turn it into code and into something that works within um, within the context of a, of a computer game what's um you know has it changed some of the metrics you use is it 
what how how's that dynamic been affected yeah i mean you know we've we've added and and taken away attributes over the over the years and the way that they work um has also changed over the years and that there'll be more of that in the next few next few versions of the game as well all of our data exists to drive the artificial intelligence in the game so the way our match engine works is players are making decisions every one quarter of a second um, and that's every player on the pitch is making a decision every one quarter of a second. So a goalkeeper, even during their their own team's attacking phase of play, will still be making decisions about where they should be standing. And at some points, we also have mid-slices. So at some, at some phases of play, we have mid-slices, which mean they're making a decision every one-eighth of a second. And those decisions are all driven by the player's attributes, um, not just their playing attributes or their physical attributes, but their mental attributes as well. And that's how we've been doing things from the very, very early stage. So all of those numbers that we have in the game exist to drive the match engine. They exist to drive the transfer market. They exist to drive the player's personality. The fact that they're so good that the football world want to use them as well is obviously you know something we're incredibly proud of. But all of our data is done by human eye rather than... We, we don't use systems like Opta internally for anything apart from sense checking. Mm. So we're interested in how many goals are scored a game so that we can make in, in each league around the world so that we can, we can make sure that our AI is delivering those kinds of results to make it believable. And there was a period where we would do that by hacking some stuff. So, you know, hey, we've got too many goals in a game. Let's make the attackers miss more often. Um, that's not the way that we do things now. So we, we've spent a lot of time improving the defensive play, knowing that that is going to knock the goals down in the game, and then improving the strikers, improving through balls. But then, you know, some of the data that we do learn from, particularly when it comes to the fitness side of things, which is something that we changed quite dramatically um, last year in, in, in Football Manager um, 20, because, sorry, Football Manager 21, I'm getting my, my years muddled up. Players inside FM before, before last year, they could do as many sprints during a match as they possibly could. And we started looking at some of this data and going, OK, so players don't sprint as often as we think they do. And sat down and watched a bunch of games and you could see the recovery times for those fast players when they were sprinting that they couldn't just run back because they had to recover. So I started looking into a lot more of the, the um, physical aspects of that to try and reflect that into the game and then learn, well, no football club sits there and goes, this player is 97% sharp. They have different zones, just like you have different zones. If you're at home doing a workout, you have a different zone um, that, that your heart rate monitor will tell you that you were in at that point. So try to reflect that into the game as well and, and work, mm. worked with, you know, had conversations with some sports scientists um, inside the game about that and about how they do it to learn. But it's still all driven by numbers, whereas football clubs will be looking at a smaller set of numbers than we have because they don't need to drive artificial intelligence in the same way.
Yeah. So they might they might have a power rating, for example, which will take into account pace, acceleration, strength, stamina, that are all bundled up into one stat. Whereas we can't be we can't be as simplistic as that when it comes to what we're trying to do in the AI. Get the very best of Sports Pro sent straight to your inbox. Head to sportspromedia.com and sign up for the Sports Pro Daily. You'll get a roundup of all the biggest stories, features, and opinion from our team every single morning. You'll find that all and much more at sportspromedia.com. Sports Pro, connecting and inspiring the business world of sport. Let's talk about the community of Football Manager for for this last little bit. I mean, it's it's an extraordinary thing because it's something that it's a game that was originally played in isolation, but not really because people would talk about their games. Maybe they play multiplayer or whatever, but generally people would have experiences within the games that they then relate to, to friends who, who also played it. You know, there'd be legends shared of in the earlier games, perhaps more so than now, but of players who were, uh, whose potential was kind of out of all proportion to, to what it would be in, in reality or what it would yeah, turn out I, to be in reality. I call those data errors. So <laughs> it's a very romantic way of thinking about uh, Tonton Makoko. Those players that people love from that time, although Tonton, to be fair, he had all the talent in the world. Um, th- things went really wrong for him in his life, and, yeah. and that's that's why he didn't reach his potential. So there there are a couple of players that look like data errors that we got right. We just weren't modelling the mental side of the game at that point. Sure. But there, there are others that we definitely got wrong. And they are some of some of people's most favourite players from our game series. To me, they are data errors. So, <laughs> yeah. But what, what I, I mean, I didn't want to go down that particular rabbit hole. I think that's, that's a different <laughs> podcast. But you had an organic community that was pre-digital it was a computer game but it was it was a pre-digital community because the internet didn't function in the same way um probably until a few iterations into the series it then becomes both a digital community and a huge commercial asset but you still have kind of organic things going on like people playing tournaments in 20 year old versions of the game yep how do you maintain that how do you respect the autonomy of that community but also make it something that that you can nurture and also you know that, that you can use as a business well the the biggest mate for idos who were our previous publisher when we were making a game called championship manager the biggest mistake that they made is that as part of our divorce settlement and um, we'd set up our forum and we'd set up our website so we owned that and they didn't fight us on it and that meant that you know, when we were switching brands from Championship Manager to Football Manager, it was the second version of Football Manager outsold Championship Manager because the people on our forums became our, we call it word of mouth. So as well as word of mouth, they were also word of mouth, spreading the world to people that Football Manager was the game that that they wanted to play. And, you know, those those forums were set up in 96. Um, Before that, we we had unofficial websites before that point. So when the the internet was really in its infancy, and I used to make data updates for for Championship Manager 2. So I made a World League update, completely fictional world for people in, in 1992, that was put together using some tools that were recommended to me by the person that is now our technical director at the studio. It was published online by the person who's now our production director in the studio. 
And we were hiring people from the community to grow the team because what better to you know what what better way to have people joining if they're already fans of the game and they're people that we know because of the online interactions that we've had with them. So we were very early on this side of things, and we've tried to be ahead of the curve at different stages to the point that I actually have a gab dot ai account that i've never used because we just set up accounts on every social media platform that starts before knowing that it was um it was the place that was going to turn out and i can't work out how to delete the accounts on there it's quite (laughs) it's not a good not a good situation but i you know i've i've always been accessible to our consumers as well so i used to be on our forums a lot then i switched over to social media and and people can ask me questions on social media and I respond to them. I take that responsibility seriously if they ask me a question politely because I don't see the internet as being different to the real world. So I treat people the way that they treat me on there. If someone's polite, I'll be polite back. If someone is an asshole on there, I'll be an asshole back. Um, or I've, I've become a bit better at just muting and blocking people nowadays. Um, but we have a team of people um, on our forums who uh, who are our moderators. I actually had a, a video conference with them last night. We had a, a two-hour Q&A session with our mods last night. Um, we have a, a community team inside the studio, um, some of whom deal with the social media side of things, some of whom are there dealing with the forums and working with Sega's customer support team. But our our consumers, and I don't call them customers because they they aren't actually our customers. They are customers of the shops that they buy the game from, and we don't sell it directly. Um, our consumers are the lifeblood of, of what we do, and we've listened to their feature suggestions for the last 20 years, and any feature suggestion that is made on our forum is taken just as seriously as any feature suggestion that I make or any feature suggestion that the people who work at football clubs that we work with make, or any of our footballers who are alpha testers, or any of our designers inside the studio, we treat them exactly as we would anybody else's, because they're ideas, and ideas can come from from anywhere. And lots of them end up in the game, and people celebrate the fact that they're able to help steer the game, and that we listen to them. Um and every business should be run that way and every business should be doing this and, and listening to their customers um, and listening to their consumers because without those consumers, you don't have a business. That's not to say that they're always right and it's not to say that we always treat them as right. We just look at the things that they're saying and do it in a respectful in a respectful way. Of course, of course we respect them, but we we. We treat them with the same respect that we would do any any of the people that we work with, and yeah. um, you know, it's still it, it's a weird thing for me. The, you, you talk about the the twenty year old games that are still being played now, and that's something that I'm both proud of and hate at the same time. <laughs> um, I'm incredibly proud that that I've worked on a game that has stood the test of time that people want to work that people still want to play twenty years later. But all of our games are better now. So people should be playing those instead. And we, we have different flavours of the game. It's not just Football Manager, the full simulation that that I know some people don't have the time to play. With Football Manager Mobile, um, 
we do have a modern game that is still as quick and fun to play as those games from 20 years ago. But but you kind of sit back and, and wonder whether um, whether status quo get annoyed when someone sends them a message and say, hey, I've just listened to your album from 20 years ago. Don't like your new album, but I like the one that you made 20 years ago. Do they um do they sit there and, and get a bit miffed by it as well? Who knows? But but when I sit and, and look back, I will be I will probably be prouder of those games and prouder of the data errors um that I spoke about earlier than than I am right now because I just want them playing the latest games that we make instead. Yeah, well status quo I'm sure won't mind too much if the if the royalties keep rolling in and you know, to to that end, I mean, how how's the commercial model changed you have your annual updates you have your mobile games uh you also have in-game advertising just before we wrap up kind of what what briefly is the breakdown of those um so we don't get paid on any back catalog at all so pe- people playing our 20 year old games it's not like people listening to those albums on spotify <laughs> um so mobile uh has certainly accelerated we're doing pretty well on console now as well so um, whereas a few, whereas a few years ago, the split was eighty percent PC and twenty percent everything else. It's now roughly fifty-fifty PC. You know, so Football Manager versus Football Manager Mobile and Football Manager Touch is about fifty-fifty. And Football Managers, uh, Football Manager is selling more than it ever has done. So it's not eroding our own market share. We're not cannibalizing ourselves. And every year we're looking at new platforms and trying to to add extra things in there. So this year is the first year that we've been back on on console for the first time uh, in, I think it's 10, 11 years, um, being on the the new Xbox platforms, which is awesome to be on and uh, able to entertain entertain new consumers, um, hopefully bring them into the family for life as well. But there have also been possibilities in other countries. So we've we've had some issues over the years in Germany and we're finally able to get um, a full release there with our partnership with the Bundesliga. That's been really interesting um, and, and has been going pretty well over there. Plus also football becoming more popular in Asia um, helps us. So on a business side, even though we are... Um, we're 25 years old. In fact, we're 28 years old. We're we're actually 28 years young. I see us still as an early stage of the business and, and where we can go. Because if you look at the most successful companies in the world and the, the longest lasting companies in the world, they've done well initially, but they've carried on building on that success organically um, over the years and coming up with new product lines that help them in increase their increase their audience if you like and increase the consumers that drink their drinks and eat the food and watch the films um so we're still on that side of the trajectory and it's my job to ensure that that continues well with that in mind and unfortunately we're, we're about to run out of time but with that in mind what's the through line from the company that was the, the, the kind of home brew and, and you going out there, you know, trading tickets from friends in the music industry into, uh, into football people and, and video game people. Um, what's the through line from that company to the one that exists now to the one that's going to exist in the future? How do you maintain the culture that that's made it a success to this point? 
I think as, as companies grow um, to the size that we are, the culture actually has to change whether we like it or not. Because, um, and in fact, in, in the modern world that we live in, the culture has to be different because people who are coming through university now or out of school now have different expectations to, um, to people of my generation. So we are constantly moving the, uh, the culture while still keeping the premise the same of the living, breathing world. It, it all comes back full circle to, to actually what we call internally the suspension of disbelief, ensuring that we've got a game that when people escape into it, it's both believable, enjoyable, and they don't see things that are going to jolt them out of that world. And we've we've been very flexible over the years with uh, with things like where people are based. So we've kind of had fifteen to twenty percent of people on average have been off site since the since the late nineties. Um, because if somebody wants to move to Australia and they're really talented, we don't want to lose them. So we'll find out a way for them to work from Australia. Um, and the internet makes that makes that possible and and has done for for a long time. Um, so we continue to grow up as a company and being part of Sega helps us with that as well. So we've, we've always had the possibilities, for example, of dealing with Sega's HR team, we've now got to the size where we need to build our own HR team. Um, a few years ago, we'd got to a stage where we needed to have a COO in place, um, because I was becoming spread too thin and we didn't have any kind of management structure. So I had 60 odd direct reports and it was insane. We couldn't carry on working that way. So we went out there to find a COO to come in to sort out a management structure. So we can't stand still. We can't stay the same way that we were when there was five of us. And when someone walked through the door, they got hit in the head with a Nerf gun. You you can't be that anymore. And as the game has, um, as the game has improved over the years, so has the way that we've we've run the studio. And um, you know, to be frank, we're far from perfect on that st- on that side of things. And we've still um, we've still got things to learn. We still need to ensure that the work life balance is is as good for everyone in the studio as it is for some groups where they have got that balance right. Um, and that's something that we're continuously working on. But um. It's just a case of, of sitting back and, and looking, always remembering where you've come from, but wanting to go somewhere different that is an improvement, um, as as any rags to riches story will show. If you you've you've got to remember you've got to remember where you came from because that's that's incredibly important and that is your history. But it's also your history. It's not the future. And the future is really the only thing that matters. Best of luck with that, Mars. It's a great note to finish on. Thanks very much for your time. No problem. Thanks, Alan. That was a lot of fun. The Sports Pro Podcast is published by Sports Pro Media. The producer is Ed Dixon.